Okay. Alright, we are <laughs> officially good to go. I'm going to lean back away from the mic because I always speak too loud. <laughs> okay. And then, you know what, let me turn down the mic volume. <laughs> because, look, it clips it, and then my audio sounds shitty. And it's my podcast, and I want my audio to sound nice. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> all right. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is episode two. I'm here with my good friend, Anthony Diaz. Uh, me and Anthony, we go way back um, to probably right after I got out of college. Um, a lot of people know me. They know I was really big on extracurriculars in college. And then after college, I kind of um, was looking for something for me to fill that gap where I didn't have those uh, on-campus activities to go to anymore. So I started looking into the community and I found your organization, the Newark Water Coalition, and then you essentially... Wait, 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 wait. I thought you were in college because you were part of Sunrise. No, no. Huh? Oh. No, I just, I was out, so that after, it was after college when I came around looking for okay. the Newark Water Coalition. Yeah, because I was in the, I was in corporate America at the time. Do you remember? I would always walk in with my backpack, with my laptop, come straight from work. Um, it was a miserable job. <laughs> and I would just, because it was, I mean, working with you guys was, it was a lot of fun, first of all, but it was, it was taking care of an important in- issue. And that's one of the things that's important in my life is just finding meaning and find, doing something that's impactful. And I always felt in corporate America that I wasn't helping anyone but myself. And it was kind of like really selfish. And so in a selfish way, me looking <laughs> for something to feel fulfillment, like I, I left work like looking for fulfillment and I found you guys um, at the New York Water Coalition um, and you guys were at St. Lucy's Church at the time um, and you'd have your weekly meetings and I, I just stumbled in and I was really inspired by the work that you were doing and I mean you're a compelling person and a compelling figure and you, you kept bringing me back and since then we've done a lot of really cool things together yes. and... Um, I'm excited because you're now running for mayor, um, so I just want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and just talk a little bit to me about your campaign so far um, and why you're running for, for mayor. So my name is Anthony Diaz. I'm the co-founder of the North Water Coalition. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, when I think about our, the history of our relationship, it's like, damn, we have done a lot of amazing things together. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the whole time that you know me, uh, I think each time... I kind of was pushed to run for office. Yeah. And, you know, for Central Ward, I was kind of suggested by my friend, uh, Victor Monterosa. Mm-hmm. Um, when I ran for Freeholder, that was like an hour revolution thing. And, mm. you know, so I can honestly say that uh, running for mayor is the first time where it's like, you know what? I really wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Where I made the conscious decision to do this. And I made the conscious decision to do this is because, you know, there's uh, the political landscape that we see today is like garbage. It's hot garbage. Right. And people are talking about the craziest things and they're not doing anything for their community and they're not moving the conversation forward. So 
for me, it's like, well, if I want to change the conversation, how do I do that? You need a platform in order to do that. Right, right. What better platform than an election cycle in order to get people thinking about the ideas that I want to push forward? Right, and right. And so, you know, and so far I've done that. Right. You know, uh, you asked me how it's going. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is so many people are reaching out and saying, you know what? I didn't know that about the city of New York. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't know, you know, the police were funded this much. I didn't know the health department was funded this much. Right. You know, you have ideas like free laundromats. That sounds crazy, but you know what? It makes sense. Why not do these things? Right. You have this idea of community fridges. Why not do these things? Right. And so what I'm finding is, is that people are resonating with the points that I'm putting out. Mm. They don't think they're far-fetched. They don't think they're, you know, you know these kind of like... Sometimes the uh, people critique socialists as like wanting a utopia. Mm-hmm. But these are things that we can be doing now. Right, right. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is... Is I'm showing people that I am changing the world by organizing now. And that's and that's honestly what I admire about the work that you're doing is first of all, I mean you've been doing this for a long time now, uh, and I mean you did a great work with with founding the Water Coalition itself, bringing activism to the issue of letting the drinking uh, water and. I have to commend you, first of all, on the, the protest that you led um, at the MTV VMA Awards because, I mean, this is you as just a citizen, right? And a concerned citizen, and you did it the way that you were supposed to do it, right? You got a clipboard, you started knocking on doors, you talked to people, you built up awareness, you reached out to a church, you got a space, you held meetings, like, you did the work. Um, for such a long time, and it kept you just kept your head down, focused, and doing the work, um, and it led up to that moment, which was the VMA protests, where all of it came together in such a beautiful way. It was very strategic, the location, the place that you did it, the amount of attention that the the city was getting, and it ended up culminating with. And a lot of people don't know this, but the same day of that protest was the day that the city um, decided that they would do something about lead in the drinking water. So I don't know if that's a coincidence. It doesn't (laughs) seem like a coincidence. But no, talk to me about that process because you have a history of outside of the political system getting this work done. So how did that come to be? And and how do you even go about planning something like that? So what's interesting is that, you know, I've worked with a variety of groups. Yeah. And, you know, I knew the Video Music Awards was coming to Newark. And I already wanted to do a protest. Right. I had no idea what. I said, we need to do something. Right. And it just so happens that it was like this perfect storm because, you know, the national media put everything on attention because everything was happening in Newark at that time. Right. And so people were like, well, who's doing the organizing work? The Newark Water Coalition. How do we show up in solidarity? It's this MTV protest. Mm-hmm. And we had about like 300 people out there. Yeah. You know, there's this a great video on my IG. Yeah. Newark Politics on Instagram. Right. Um, and, and you we'll can check it out. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, of me, you know, pushing forward and charging forward. And so the thing is, it's like I've organized a lot of protests and there's a lot of like security culture. There's a lot of this. But this was the first time, and I've described this on other shows and interviews and things like that, 
It's like I felt like a conductor. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, it was one, just having the people there. But mm-hmm. it was also two, pushing past the barricades and ending on the opposite side of the media street. Right, um, right. The third component was shining the light on the Prudential building that said, mm, you know, Nord's the projector, order is being right. poisoned, the projector. Right. And so, like, all of these things went off. And the first thing you always, whenever you do an action is, did anybody get hurt? Mm. No one got hurt. But there were a lot of people that got arrested. I remember but that. See, being that was something. planned. Yeah, yeah. That was planned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, I reached out to some folks at Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And I was like, listen, could you be the arrestable component mm-hmm. of this action? And I mean, that's what they do. And it was perfect, though, because the way it was organized is there was a lot of support for those people. Like, the, yeah. there was so much support. I think you even greeted them when they got back out of the uh, of holding. And it was beautiful the way that every element of that protest was planned. And the most remarkable thing, though, to me, was how effective it was, right? Because one day, one event, and that, I mean, it shows you, and that's, I, I've loved that that's your, the cornerstone of your campaign is just the word organized, right? It's not like, you know, some gimmicky statement. It's not some, cat, it's just organized, right? And that's what that moment was to me, was the, the, the manifestation of that organizing and it resulted in over a hundred million dollars every single pipe in newark is being replaced um and that happened on the same day it's definitely not a coincidence that that happened right i mean we put a lot of pressure and you know it was funny we were just talking about Terry swift guess who was headlining those vmas <laughs> i i remember that moment because it was a moral conundrum for me I don't know if you remember my outfit. You yeah. probably definitely, I was wearing like, because I had tickets <laughs> to go inside. And I was just like, oh my God, this is Taylor Swift. Literally the person that I enjoy the most. Um, but then this is also the Newark Water Coalition, which is a, a cause that I truly believed in. And I chose <laughs> to show up for the, the protest, um, which is not to toot my own horn, but... The fact that I was wearing a suit showed how, like, on the edge I was because I was so prepared to go inside. And there's but, a, a dope picture of us. Too. Yeah, I know. There is. There is. That's that's making the rounds. And no, but it was beautiful to be a part of that. And I have no regrets um, because it was effective. And, like, it was effective in a way that I don't think you even imagined it could be right like did you even think that it was possible that the city could go ahead and just do what you've essentially been asking them to do you know one of the things that i believe especially in in uh, in organizing if you do the work you will get the results right no matter what you will get some kind of results Mm -hmm. but there's always a bit of luck there's always a bit of magic in the way things happen Mm -hmm. um and you know, I it's so funny because now what I will say is I, I'm a lot more the the burden of responsibility is heavier on me. Mm-hmm. Back then it was like we're living we're living moment to moment. Right. <laughs> you know, whatever happens happens. So you put this protest together, it goes off without a hitch. You're getting all this press. Time magazine is talking yeah. about it, and so you know you, I could have never fathomed that. Mm-hmm. But the thing was is. Were we heard? Were we seen? Mm-hmm. And we were. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the, it has been, like you said, the corner, cornerstone of this organization. Because Well, and that's one thing that people don't realize is there's, 
that was a protest that was seen and heard, but how many protests were unseen and unheard that led that culminate in that, you know, and that's the, that's what people don't see. So yeah, uh, you know, so again, I'm like looking back through all these old things. Yeah. And the first protest we did mm -hmm. was at the state of the city address. Right. And it was 12 of us. Mm -hmm. Or it said, uh, the article said dozens. Yeah. It said dozens. Oh, I think I remember that. I'm pretty sure. Dozen. Yeah. And it's like one dozen of us. I do remember that. We were marching. And to, it was cold. It was a cold <laughs> day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, and to be an organization now where like, you know, we're applying for nonprofit status. It's mm -hmm. been three years. And the work that we've done over these three years you know, I literally was in a meeting, uh, a general meeting with the Water Coalition today, and I said, yeah. name another organization who has done as much work as us in the right. last three years. So let's let's pause there, because let's talk a little bit about the Water Coalition, because we, we did just talk about the protest, but the Water Coalition since then has evolved, right? Yeah. And I know a lot of people, I mean, speculate, sometimes I read Twitter, right, and Reddit, and it's like, some people say like why are you still doing this the water thing was solved but so talk to people about what you guys are doing now because you're still giving out water you're doing yeah. food distributions you're doing mutual aid you did toy drive like talk to me about how the the new york water coalition has evolved since the initial objective so the thing that's interesting is like uh, the water pipes or the i should say the water system in newark is at below f or federal standard mm -hmm. There are still homes in Newark mm. that have high concentrations of lead. Right. Over 100 parts per billion. There's still homes in Newark. Mm -hmm. um, I was given an interview today with German TV, and I told her, I said, people still don't trust the water, mm -hmm. and they're still coming here. So, you know, if people are still coming here, that means that we have to continue to serve. Mm -hmm. And so we still give out tons of water. Right. You know, this past year alone, we've given out over almost 20,000 gallons of water this mm -hmm. year. Wow. Uh, or, I'm sorry, in, in 2021. Right. And that's in a pandemic. Yeah. Right? Not a us, you know. Cause fully of, mobile, yeah. Fully, yeah. You know, this open. was social distancing. Exactly. Like, yeah. And so, you know, I think that's very fascinating. But then we started evolving into food. Mm -hmm. You know, some people were like, okay, we'll donate cases of water, but obviously they're buying from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Can we throw food in the mix? Right. So during the lockdown, we were doing um, no contact deliveries. And what we did was uh, we started putting a little bit of groceries there. Right. And then it became a thing, well, let's, we're getting some food donations. Let's put some groceries out during our water distributions. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, you know, a bag of rice and a couple of like little things. And it was like, whatever. Now we're giving out like 1,500 pounds of food a week. Oh, wow. And what we did is we've put up two community refrigerators right. in partnership with panther solidarity organization in right. st stephen's church amazing and i have a food pantry outside of my house i mm -hmm. dry food and what i've seen is community built around these things right each of these fridges has an amazing story right our pantries have an amazing story yeah so now we're doing food right uh we're still doing water right um during the last six, uh, last three months, we started helping on some housing work with Rutgers Law School. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, we supported so many anti-ICE protests and rallies over the last year, whether it's um, 
you know, uh, giving to bail funds or jail funds, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, giving rides or support to organizations mm -hmm. um, or, you know, just all these kinds of things. Right. We've worked with other organizations in all kinds of issues, not not just environmental, mm. but all kinds of social justice. Well, issues. and one cool project that you worked on, which I really love to talk about is you worked with 501c3 oh, yeah. Jaden Smith yeah. which was and he did a video I think on like his YouTube channel or something where he it was like a day in his life and it was walking through through Newark um, with you so what was that experience like and how did that come to be you know it was really interesting because I, I was like oh I wonder if he's gonna be like a real person. That's, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> no, nah, I, I totally get that, yeah. <laughs> like, is he going to be a real person? Right. He was a real person. Mm -hmm. And I think what was cool was that, you know, what's tough is, like, you don't know if your message ever gets through across, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things, like, every time I had a conversation was, listen, I'm really grateful. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful. You're a huge celebrity. You're a star in all of this. But you don't understand what this means to me, and you don't understand what it means to our people. Right, right. And I hope that resonated with me. Right. Them. And then, you know, I work, obviously, closely with his nonprofit organization, and they know me, you know, very well. We know each other very, very well. Right. And so it's become this relationship of, you know, how do we help each other further both of our individual missions? And right. we've done that so much. Right. Where we're like, you know, we're trying to help each other put water boxes all over places. Right. Trying to teach people how to build them. Mm. Trying to teach people how to improve on the design. Give them the skills they need. So it's not just about this one project. And it hasn't just been just about Nork. It's like expanding this so much further right. that they're willing to partner with me on so many different things now because they see the work that we've done in Nork. Yeah. And it's, you know, and what that does is it gives us this um, institutional support, right? Right. Because before we're like a, just a group of, you know, local citizens up in arms, you know, dozens of us at a protest. Yeah. This gives us the support of a celebrity. Right. This gives us the backing of all the institutions, you know, that, oh, okay, there's, there's some realness to here. Right. And so, you know, that partnership has been interesting and mm -hmm. it's evolved over time, but it, I'm really, really grateful for it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does put a lot of attention and it gives, it gives you more of a that brand reputation of just having that support and it, it was a cool partnership um so what what are those water boxes though talk to me about so they, they've installed what three now we so we have three distribution or we have uh two distributions currently okay we have four water boxes yeah so one water box is at St. Stephen's Church. Yeah. One water box is at Institute of Intriguing Minds, which is a, a daycare center. Right. Um, and then we're looking to hopefully announce soon um, a local school partner. And mm -hmm. then if we're, we should be moved into our office by February 1st. Oh, and wow. And we're going to put a water box in our office so we can do distributions every day. That's incredible. And so on the note of schools, um, you also mentioned to me that there, you're working on an education program as yeah. well for, for activists. So talk about that. And is that going to be part of the New York Water Coalition? I think you mentioned some partnerships as well. Yeah, yeah. So what? So what's going so on there? So we, what I I've looked at the the landscape of, right. of organizing, mm -hmm. and I think what I've seen was that there's there's so many organizers that came into the fold under George Floyd. Mm -hmm. They were like, you know, crazy stuff is happening. I need to get into the mix, and this is how they got into the mix. And what I think is is that 
I saw them make a lot of mistakes. Mm. And that's fine. You know, that's that's how a lot of us are in our stripes. That's a lot. But then there's some things that are avoidable. Mm-hmm. But if there's nobody, you know, building a bench, if there's nobody coaching them, if there's nobody showing them, hey, these are the mistakes I've made, then we're never going to get better, right? right. Just in, in the organizational kind of like um, mindset. And mm-hmm. I and this is funny because I never, I had one position as a as an organizer, like mm. a paid position as an organizer. Right. And I think I lasted three months. Right. Because I was like, this is not... This is not organized. Right, this right. This is, what do you, no. This right. is not true to the craft. So mm-hmm. fast forward to now where it's like you have all these kids. They're looking for something. They're mm-hmm. looking for a way to, to learn this field. Yeah. Let's build a school. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to build the Newark Water Coalition Organizing School. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's why, you know, to me, that's why that's the slogan of the campaign. Yeah. Because it's... I honestly believe that there is no problem there's mm-hmm. no problem that we cannot solve yeah. by organizing. Yeah. We can solve everything by organizing. No, absolutely. And you know what? I agree with you that, I mean, because I consider myself to be an organizer as well, and I organize a lot of different projects. And I there was no formal training to it. It's a lot of just like you do things, you fail at a lot of things. I mean, that's where most of learning comes from is from your failures. And then you just keep trying, you keep failing. And there is no clean way to do it. It looks sloppy all the way through, but I'm happy with like all the projects that I've tried. But I think that's why it's incredible to give someone, give these people some structure because imagine what you could do if there's actually like a support system. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's that's incredible that, that you're doing that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the political landscape, right, of Newark. So Newark <laughs> is, I mean, it's an infamous city for politics, right? I mean, there's the whole Street Fight documentary on Netflix with Cory Booker and Sharp James and the amount of corruption, you know, the, the manipulation of the office of the mayor in that race um, to try to impact the results there. Um, that's well documented in that documentary. I know I ran for office um, in this area as well. I faced intimidation. Um, what has your been? What has your experience been with that lead up? Um, with you know, first of all, launching your campaign, and I know that the mayor has you know said specific things about you on his <laughs> Instagram feed, and like it, it doesn't seem like very professional conduct um, for a mayor, but talk to me about what your experience has been so far. You know, what's interesting is that, uh, yeah, and I was talking to someone um, last week about this, where, you know, to go up against this administration, Mm -hmm. you have to be prepared Mm -hmm. on several things. I mean, you know, during our mutual aid protests, they literally had city folks, city, you know. I was there, I remember. We took videos. Yeah. You know, um, intimidate us, pressure us, yell things at us. Uh, you know, we have uh, citizens that came up to us and said, hey, we tried to tell the cops, and the cops said that they were just here to watch. And these were, in some of these instances, it was like the, mayor, the mayor's like top staff. Yeah. that were his out brother. there his brother his brother even that was one of the flashpoints at the vma protest that went viral was they were kind of just laughing at the protesters and people were like you're the one in charge you're the one they're protesting about and you're just there laughing and like they don't even realize how 
transparent they are in their corruption. And, and no, you know what? It's not even... I mean, it is corruption and nepotism and all those things, but it, it's hubris. It's yeah. arrogance. Yeah. It's, it's, this is what happens when you have a population that is so... so I don't want to say... Yeah, I'll say apathetic. Right. That you, you've beaten people down so hard Mm-hmm. That you can blatantly be corrupt in their face. Right. And, and we nobody notices. It. Well, it, I mean, I don't even know if people notice it. And it's crazy because, I mean, talk to me about this parallel, right? The city decided to ban feeding the homeless people <sighs> while you're running mutual aid, you know, giveaways of food. Like, is that a coincidence that... The city is saying, hey, you can't give away food, and his opponent is the guy that's giving away food to people that need food. Like, that's, that's so blatant and transparent. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that they, you know, and, and this is I, and this is where I think I'm crazy, right? Yeah. Because we know how corrupt it is. Yeah. We know the system is rigged, and yet we're still here trying to fight and change the world. Right. We're still trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like what I've realized, especially after the mutual aid march, where they were so blatant and antagonistic, right. where I was like, wow, you guys really poured a bunch of resources into me. And like, I, I, I don't even, I'm just here trying to help my community. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's like, okay, I see what the game is now. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, I, I respect it now. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if this is how you're going to treat me, when I'm not even being antagonistic or a factor, right. let's run for mayor. Right. Let's That's put your policies against mine. Yeah. Let's put your background against mine. Mm-hmm. Let's put your legacy against mine. Right. And see what's up. Right. Because I'm out here doing the work. Now, you have the position, and this is me saying to the mayor, you have the position and the authority to do all these things and you do nothing. Right. He can, and he talks a big game too, because at one of his State of the City addresses, he was like, hey, we're going to introduce a pilot program for UBI. And I haven't heard a thing about that since then. I don't think it's happened. I, I feel like he, he is playing the optical game where he's pretending that he's a progressive mayor and a lot of people are falling for that trap. But it's all words and no actions. And it's like, what actually has changed? I mean, the things that actually have changed in Newark is rents have gotten higher. I mean, gentrification is going on all over like the city. Um, we get more and more high rises. We get more and more small businesses kicked out. So like the actual change that's happening here in Newark is not progressive change. And I mean, it, it's ridiculous because he gets this reputation and people are going around and saying he's progressive and it, it just makes no sense because he says something at a State of the City event that he never actually takes to action on and then it's like, it, it completely tra- contradicts what he's actually doing. But that's why I turn it around on us, yeah. right? It, and this is why I'm telling people, like, you can either sit here on the sidelines and watch all this unfold under your eyes or you can organize. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, even if you don't believe me, if you don't even like me as a person, how can you be against the message of organizing? Right. How can you be that? Yeah. And, and what when organizing to me is building community. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I go back to what I realized out of all this mutual aid and all this antagonism between um, the mayor and the, his administration and I is that I got to focus on my work. Right. That's a distraction. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? It's never me against him 
technically we're on the same side, right? We just want to help our community. Right. But you know what? You have a way of helping your community. I have a way of helping my community. I think my way is a little bit better. Right. And your way is is actually producing results, right? Because without your pressure, who knows if they would have done and taken any action on the lead water pipes, you know? Without your distribution of mutual aid, who is going to get through to these people that were struggling during the pandemic? So it's like you have tangible results as a citizen and the mayor we're still looking for his report card we're trying to figure out what he's done to help us out because it looks like um he's just gentrified this place and he'll say crime that's his that's his thing but what about police brutality in in newark that's still a big problem and police brutality is a big thing in newark yeah you know speaking on that someone on his ticket actually has a former police officer with 35 claims of excessive force in four years. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I would believe it, yeah. <laughs> like what? And, you know, when you look at the crime thing, there's so many shootings that happen in North. Yeah. This, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, around Thanksgiving, I think eight happened in one night. Right. And and what their excuse is, well, this is what happens in big cities. This right. is This is, you know, and I said, that's not good enough reason. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just not. I've seen a lot of very sketchy things that I, I don't even know if I should speculate on. But when I I remember when I was running for office here um, and, you know, I would run into the mayor's staff. Like I, I tried to um, talk about my campaign at a mosque and two people from the mayor's staff, they pulled me aside, very intimidating people, and they talk about they point out their fancy cars with the sign that says like office of the mayor as a as a tactic of intimidation and my thought is like so where are you guys getting the money for these fancy cars like what is going on here and it's like there's so many of these little things that i think people people aren't paying attention to a lot of like the actual what's going on in politics but it's like what it's cartoonishly you know it's corrupt it's absurd yeah and that's the thing is like there's so many of these examples of this absurdity, and so like, why not a why not let us dream the world we want? Yeah, to yeah, and this is all well documented. I mean, you can even watch Street Fight. It was a Netflix documentary made by Cory Booker. That document, like this stuff, never ended here in Newark, you know. And I don't think people realize that. So like, when you go even to run for mayor like that takes a lot of courage you know and i i just want to commend you for doing that because i mean there's a rich history of just the city putting all of the elements out after you so you know good good work in trying to try to do that i really appreciate that that you're stepping up for that for that role um so a little bit so if you were elected mayor what would you do Oh, man. So I have so many programs. Yeah. So like I was talking before about the community fridges, I think that we should have a fridge on every block. Right. And what the city can do is subsidize these fridges. We can fill them twice a week on a prefix menu that's decided by residents. So residents would have an input on what's going on in those fridges. And not only that, we'll make them each a hotspot. So Mm. anybody could get internet internet. at these fridges. Right. So and what, you know, and why? One, right. it's serving a two, you know, very tangible purposes. Right. Feeding people and providing internet. Mm-hmm. Then the third thing is it's building community. 
Right. And that's what we need in North mm. is we need to continuously build community. Right. Because and people are like, well, what? Do you, how do you believe this? What do you mean? Nobody's gonna care about it. Mm-hmm. And I have a pantry in front of my house. Yeah. That's how I know. Yeah. It was a conversation with my neighbors. Yeah. Some people didn't like it at first. Some people thought it was a crazy idea. Then, you know, we start filling it, and then some of the neighbors start taking food. Then mm-hmm. some of the neighbors start putting food in there. Right. And then when it becomes this thing where it's a point of our community to take care of one each other because mm-hmm. we are literally feeding one each other. Right. You know? So then would you make yourself then more present in the community, right? Because yeah. that, that's one thing that I've noticed about mayors or anyone, honestly, in politics is as soon as you get elected you're impossible to find (laughs) like you have to go to the state of the city address like one event out of the whole year where you know that the mayor will be there but like if you go to his office you'll never find him if you go like if you try to like find like like, it's so hard to find the mayor so do you do you plan on doing like uh community meetings like what is your take on transparency one of the things that they do now is public assemblies yeah and usually they have like top level staff there okay but very rarely the mayor the mayor attends like a few of these now that they're on like facebook live you know it's easier to zoom in yeah i just said on one of my um posts um that I plan to attend every council meeting. Mm. That I can, you know, obviously barring some crazy situation. Right. But I plan on attending every council meeting. Right. And he should be there because that's an important discussion. Because here's the thing. Every city council meeting that I've been into Newark, and this is why I don't go now, and mm. this is people criticize me all the time for this, mm-hmm. is because you have this hearing of the citizens. Yeah. Everybody gets up there. They say their piece. Mm-hmm. The council people, some are on iPads. Some are like not even listening. It. Right. They're ignoring it. And then nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so the... It's, it's just a show. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. But if you're the mayor and the mayor is at the city council yeah. meeting and he's hearing what's going on in your neighborhoods. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to want to change that. I just feel like, why is that not... <laughs> A requirement in the first place <laughs> like that just seems a, like a logical thing i thought the mayor should be presiding over things like that but anyways no that's that's a really good point to have um newark is a big transportation hub uh so talk to me a bit about your vision for transportation um and i will say uh to preface this is i was really excited by uh, mayor Wu, who just got elected um in boston massachusetts and she ran on a whole Green New Deal platform, and she's planning on turning uh, Boston into a Green New Deal transportation hub where you have high-speed rail, you know. And I feel like Newark is a perfect place for something like that as well. I mean, we are connecting New Jersey to New York and connecting a lot of people to their jobs out there. And this place has a lot of potential. So, so what's your vision for transportation out here? So there's uh, several things, and I, I, you know, and I completely agree with all of that. It, you know, the thing is, um, we got to be careful with greenwashing mm-hmm. and making sure that we're actually doing things that are environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kind of on the transportation side, but also on the development side. I don't want to build anything without having an environmental impact study done. Right. First and foremost, right. how will this affect our impact? Right. But I think that we should be exploring all kinds of options. Mm-hmm. I know that 
you know, the I was on a call um, this week about renewable energy and like what is really renewable. Right. Like we, you know, there's so much data on like wind farms. There's so much data on solar right. of it not being good, and you know, obviously it being good. And right. then, you know, you hear all of this. We have to figure out what works for Newark, mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to be some of these options, and it's not going to be some of the the other options. Yeah. But we, what we need to do is move forward. Right. And if we're not thinking about renewable energy, we should be like a carbon zero city. We should have renewable energy all throughout this city. Right. Um, and it should not be. It should be powering people's homes. It should be right. powering people's companies. We should be thinking about it in everything that we do in the city, mm-hmm. and including our private partners and, and especially our public partners. We have so many public schools, and I think there's maybe one or two that have like solar farms on. Mm-hmm. But all of our schools could have it. All of these, you know, there. Um, there's a lot of black. The heat index on like what, how much. Um, black surface is in Newark is like something crazy. Right. We could be putting solar farms on, on mm, these areas. And right. I think that's what's important. Right. It's just like figuring out these common sense solutions that exist now. Yeah. Because, you know, not everything that Boston does is going to work for Newark. Right. But at the same time, everything that works for Newark isn't going to work for Boston. That's true. That's true. And, and here's the thing, like the environment here has been something that has always been impacted by environmental racism, right? Like, if you think about the amount of pollution over our city um, and just in Jersey generally, um, there's so much pollution going on in this area that it's making people sick. I mean, there's been, you know, a whole issue with asthma um, in kids uh, around the newer community. Um, so that goes to that point as well. Like we need a, at least it's in my, like, what would you do about that? Like, do you find that to be a concern that you think about? And is that part of that same energy plan of trying to? Yeah, I think, so obviously, you know, being a water protector, the first yeah. thing I think of is, is like water in the environment. Right. But it all goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. When you start tackling one issue, it has like a little, literally a ripple effect on the other sectors and other areas. Right. If we're thinking about, okay, what's the most environmentally conscious way to reduce our, our trash? Mm-hmm. That gets rid of the Covanta garbage incinerator right. and Ironbound. Right. If we're thinking about um, the trucks that we allow into the city, mm-hmm. and what if we you know, put an emissions cap on them, mm-hmm. then it, it begins to tackle the air quality. Right. When we think about like how much green space do we have in Newark and we're giving up, what are we doing with our community lots? Right. It, it's all these you know, points of contact that I think overlap which people sometimes don't, you know, fail to understand. They think everything is compartmentalized or in silos, but it's not, especially right. uh, when you're talking about the environment. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, environmental injustices don't have borders. Right. And so, you know, the solutions that work for us are not only going to work for Newark itself, but the areas around us, right. because we're going to begin to to be that active partner um, with the environment. Because for me, the environmental struggle. And this is why this needs to be at the forefront of every issue right. is that we are not fighting for the planet. We are fighting for humanity. Right. Because the planet is going to be here, you know, whether we're on it again is always the real question. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
Um, so what do you see as the, your other priorities or the other big issues that you would take on first um, as mayor? So for me, the health and wellness. Right. Like, you know, it's, again, our police budget's about $155 million. That could be allocated to other places. Other places. Yeah. I want the most funded health department in the country. Um, you know, so are we talking about a Medicare for all model? A Medicare for all. Every citizen of Newark yeah. or resident of Newark, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of, of documentation, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of age, regardless of um, pre-existing medical conditions, regardless of anything, mm-hmm. will have health care under a Diaz administration. That's amazing. And they will be able to go to, again, mm-hmm. the best funded health department in the country. Right. Because that's how you begin to tackle systemic issues in this city. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and that would be a game changer because healthcare, I mean, we talk a lot in this country about freedom and there is no freedom without healthcare, right? And right now healthcare is tied to people's jobs. So that means if you don't have a job, then you don't have healthcare, which means you don't have freedom. So if you don't have a job, you don't have freedom. And that's why we're in a really terrible situation where, you know, people people can't get access to that. So by, by taking care of them in that uh, capacity, you're giving them the freedom to either become an entrepreneur, to find, to just get back on their feet. And I think that's really important. Well, it, I mean, it, everybody knows, like, or I shouldn't say everybody knows Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, right? The top exactly. is self-actualization. Right. The bottom is food, shelter, and safety. Right. So, you know, food, community fridges. Yeah. Safety, we think of just physical safety, but sometimes... Um, Mental safety is mm-hmm. is included. Maybe I'm using the words a little weird there. Yeah. But it's we need to be taking care of people's bodies. That's mm, what I'm trying to say. Right. We need to be taking care of people's bodies, and how we do that is a universal healthcare standard in Newark. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think. I mean, I I I think the the reason for these problems, right? Like crime, the high crime rate, it's not because people inherently want to be violent. It's because they're lacking support. So if you start investing in those, like we don't need a huge police. And I want to talk a little bit about the defund the police movement. Do you, do you, are you, uh, do you agree with that philosophy of defunding? I'm abolish. Abolish the police. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And I want to explain that more because it's like, we don't need to be spending so much money on enforcing the law. We should be spending money on fixing the root situations that cause people to do the violent things, right? Like people wouldn't do violent things if their bare means were met, if they had health care, if they had access to opportunity, if they had access to education housing. and housing. Yeah, like if you take care of those things so that no one is struggling and on the streets where they feel the need to attack someone to get money, then you solve the crime issue. But instead, we're putting all that money in the police department, and then we're just locking people up, giving them no shot at redemption, or because once they get out of jail, like they have a record, and then they can't get back on their feet, and then they end up resorting to more crime, and then they go back right back into jail, and it creates like this, you know, cycle, and. I don't get why the system hasn't realized that 
I, no, I mean you know why. Yeah, because I it's, do know. it's all yeah. it's all it's manufactured. Like yeah, this. yeah. And that's the thing, you know. I I wigged out today at distribution because um, you know people when people like start clawing, obviously like it's a COVID thing when people are gathered up. But I said, you know. You guys are over here fighting each other mm-hmm. for, you know, bread or a bag of uh, vegetables and things like that. When y'all should really be fighting the government. Right. Because why is it this group of volunteers is providing your basic necessities? Right. When we live in a country where we give up consent yeah. so our basic needs are met. Yeah. And so, you know, that that to me is is what this is all about. And and I'll give you one more thing. Yeah. Uh so the police budget again, $155 million. Yeah. The ridiculous. Office of Violence Prevention, $1.5 million. How and does makes that no, make sense? It makes no sense. How it does makes that no make sense. sense. And how effective is the police? I mean, we've seen so many articles of police doing just the most ridiculous things. And we're giving them an infinite budget, and they we we know that they're not efficient in the way that they use it, and it's it's just terrible and it's sad, um, because and, we could be using that money to do and, really good things. And it's really education. It's honestly education because so many people hate that that talking point of mine. Right. We need police. We need right. police. And what's interesting is, oh, I go, well, do you really think they're effective? And they go, no. No. But we need them. And I'm no. like, who do they help? They don't help anyone. <laughs> they're human beings. Yeah. Yeah. We need to stop this hero worship of of anybody that yeah. just does any you know anybody that does anything we have this hero worship of. Right. But these are human beings. Right. They're flawed. They're gonna make mistakes. Well, here's what what I'll say, and you know, being people of color, I feel like we have a d- different relationship with the police because every time I see a cop, I feel afraid. You know, because that's. Because I don't know how they're going to act towards me. And um, there, there's a whole prison experiment done, the Stanford prison experiment, you know, where you give someone a weapon, you give someone authority, um, and they're likely to abuse it um, just because of the nature that they're getting. I mean, even if it's just, you know, fictitious authority, and that's what the Stanford prison experiment was, they gave people batons and they abused it. Like, even though they knew the person wasn't actually doing something bad, they still abused their power. And you're giving these police, you know, weapons, and now they're getting military-grade weapons. They're getting riot gear. I mean, you saw what happened during the protest movement. You saw what happened during, I mean, that that one rally outside the White House where Trump just, like, had people tear-gassed and pushed away so he could do a photo op. And it's like, I've never been in a situation where I was happy to see the police, just being a person of color. I've always only been in a situation where I feared the police. And at that point, like... That means, and soon we're going to become a majority-minority country. That means to most of the country, cops are nothing but fear. But we're pretending that they're actually the supporters and the heroes. And it's it's not true to most of the country, and it's not fair for people to say that. And that's why I go back to organizing. Yeah. It, you know, you know on your block what houses to avoid and what houses not to avoid. Right. You know the people you feel safe around that you don't feel safe around. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people think that when you say abolish the police, there'll be no public safety. Mm-hmm. But again, if your basic needs are being met, I'm not going to say that, oh, we're going to live in this fairy tale land, this dreamland, this utopia of no crime. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you that 
crime is going to look fundamentally different. Right. Because society will look fundamentally But you'll also have people that step up in the community, right? That are those figures. I mean, there was something that I saw on the internet um, where there was an issue in a high school with bullying, right? Um, Or just violence in school. And some of the parents heard about it. So a group of dads, yeah, went into the high school and they just like would make jokes and like play around with the kids in the hallways. And they stepped up to fill that gap of, you know, what would have been like added security, what would have been like more disciplinary measures to pull people apart. Like instead they use positivity to break that up and diffuse that situation. I feel like in communities, like, the community, we we want to get to a point where the community can support. And that's what I love about socialism. And, and that's, I, I think what we're, it's something that we're losing in the internet age, where we're not building community anymore. Like, our community is now what's on our laptop. It's not what's, like, around us. Metaverse. Yeah, the, the whole metaverse. And, I mean, last week we talked a lot about VR. We talked about technology and it's something that scares me because you're losing the real community which is actually the people around you and you know but but why yeah why yeah the answer is because people who are not in community are easier to control yeah 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 and plus you've seen like the model of like the suburbs too like they have neighborhood watches and stuff like that like that is a good alternative for like policing too you know it's like no but you're right you're right when we're divided we're easier to manipulate and i think that's one of the biggest problems right now is we're all so overwhelmed with how difficult life is especially with the pandemic um especially with you know um the rise of these internet companies like netflix tiktok um, you know, like all these content creating companies, which I'm now a content creator, so I am <laughs> maybe slandering myself here, but like we are making it so easy for people to just stay in their homes and not like have that physical community. And it's, it's scary to me because I mean, we're, we're kind of devolving to me, right? Because what were we as an original society was hunter-gatherers, like it was all about community, and now we're becoming so individualistic. So yes, yes, and I I was uh, talking to a friend about this, and they were asking me, well, what do you think about this? And I said, all of those points are true. Yeah. And I agree with all of them. Right. But I take it a step further, and I say, but never in the point of history have we had such fewer gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking earlier about like, you know, what what has the personal computer done for people? Mm, right. What has this access for technology done for some people and some right. communities? I mean, even this whole setup here, we got like three cameras <laughs> going, like these fancy mics. It enables us to do like this would have been a whole production at yeah. 20 person TV studio, like not even that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I think that for the younger generation who is, you know, the mastery of the technology is like super rapid Mm -hmm. has broken down a lot of gatekeepers for them. But if you minimize their dream, Mm-hmm. If you you know keep it in this small framework, then they're never gonna go beyond it. Right, and that's where it sucks. But if you break out of that mold, 
Anybody can be a, a you know, a, a influencer. Yeah. Anybody can start a cooking show. Oh Anybody my God. can do anything, right? You know what? You The reason why I was just looking around is I was looking for that <laughs> book that I just showed you. I don't know if I put it back in my backpack. But when you said that, I was just thinking about that book. It's called Factfulness. Um, it has a lot of uh, fun recommendations from Bill Gates and Obama, which I feel questionably about. But <laughs> the book itself was really good. But it, I mean, it kind of emphasizes that point where we have so many biases in our life um, that prevent us from doing things. But like this era that we live in, I, I think it's easy to feel like everything is going bad because the pandemic is going on because of, you know, just a lot of really things scary suck. things. I mean, things do suck. <laughs> but what the book emphasized was there's been a lot of technological breakthroughs that have enabled so much more hope, right? And it goes back to, like, these laptops, right? Like my ability to put this podcast together is something that I couldn't have done a couple years ago. And trust me, I tried a couple years ago and it was a whole different experience. (laughs) And like one of the biggest problems right now to me is media, right? Because media controls information. It controls the whole, I mean, and it's all fear-based, right? That's why the show that we're doing here is supposed to be light. Like we're not trying to scare anyone. We're trying to like kind of be funny and, but have some important conversations, but like, it's not fear-based and I don't want people to leave and be like, Hey, we're doomed here, you know? But, but that's the angle that the media does because it's like it's in their best interest because that's what pe- keeps people glued and then they have to tune in the next day to make sure that they're still okay but then it's more doomed and that's the cycle that we're in but this technology allows us to create content at that same caliber and give people an alternative narrative right yeah. and so that's that's just one innovation, right? And then you talk about innovations like the water box, right? Where you're able to filter water, you know, so efficiently. So even when you do have lead in the drinking water, you can provide an alternative. Like that's an innovation that, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago would not have been even fathomable or possible to happen that like quickly. So like in that way, progress is happening quicker now because of technology which gives me hope and it makes me feel like yeah we're in a uniquely bad situation right now we're probably going to hit a great depression <laughs> like let's be real <laughs> like i mean this recovery is not going well biden's not doing anything so i mean what happens next is a great depression that's what's going to happen um but we have so much potential and i think if people organize and if people like use the skills that they have that's like the biggest thing for me like i i didn't have web development skills a year ago and i like i learned how to do it online and i i'm trying to build new skills so i can do as much as i can but my thing for other people is like whatever skills that you have if you're an artist use your art to tell a story about you know the situation around you if you're like a graphic designer use some of your graphic designing skills to you know help out a campaign help publicize things but we can we can really do things that change everything and it's been made so much more in our reach with technology um and i wish more more people would do it you know and i come from corporate america and it's like 
I get worried that that's such a trap because it was so easy for me to just just be content there and stay there and be so drained every day that I never worked on my own side, like my ambitions, right? And I feel like that's what's happening to a lot of people is like they work at corporate America, they're guaranteed a pay, they're guaranteed like a level of comfort, but then what they don't realize is they're missing their freedom. Like they're missing their creativity. They're missing their ability to like do things that they like actually, you know, enjoy and that's impactful. And to me, that trade off just, it, it, it wasn't for me. Maybe it is for some other people. Maybe they, they're fine with, with doing work that, you know, they don't feel as impactful. But <laughs> it's just it's just been interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that whole soliloquy I just <laughs> laid out. No, I, I, listen, I'm always going to say, and I say this all the time um, to my own cringe, is uh, the Hunger Games. Yeah. Finnick Dare says to Katniss Everdeen, remember who the real enemy is. Mm. and we get stuck in this complacency because why we gotta put food on the table right we gotta pay bills we right. gotta do this you know what i'll take that vacation once a year mm. or i'll you know i'll take this level of comfort if i can have the new uh tesla or something yeah like that. that's true but on the inside that's never gonna give you joy that's never gonna give you satisfaction mm. and you know one of the, the things that I, you know, when people ask me about my role as, as one of the leaders of the Newark Water Coalition is I say I facilitate space. Mm. I facilitate space so others can do the things that they want to do outside of the framework of capitalism mm. to reach their full potential. Right. And that to me is important because there's so many of our spaces that's demanding our time, that's telling us, Hey, I need you for this period of time to do this task to, you know, make me money or to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're not living out fulfilled lives. Right. And and I was in the same position. You know, I did the corporate I well, I wouldn't say corporate America, but I worked in a charter school. Um I worked retail mainly. I worked for Model Sporting Goods. Mm-hmm. And like I made a ton of money, mm-hmm. but I wasn't happy. Yeah. And I can honestly say, you know, I'm stressed all the yeah, time. I'm yeah. under a lot of pressure. Right. Very busy some days. Yeah. Um, but overall, I'm a lot happier. And yeah. not just like that fake happy where you're just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a kid again. It's like at my soul level, I am happy. Yeah. It might not seem like it all the time, but I'm happy because you know what? I'm living a life that is my choosing. Yeah. And it means something, right? Yeah. It, you can look back at it. That's why, I mean, I I feel the same way about my life, too. And I, I've been on a roller coaster ride between, you know, going through corporate, then going through the Bernie campaign, and now I'm a teacher. And I look at it all, and I'm just like, man, like, this is, like, so exciting. And if I'm not doing something that I'm, like, that that's exciting then, like, why am I doing it, you know? And it's exactly. and it's so much more fulfilling. And that was the scary, like, it took, it was such a scary step making that leap, right, to get out of the stability, mm. right, to have that faith in yourself to be like, hey, like... But, but that's, that's it. Yeah. That is literally yeah. it. How much faith do you have in yeah. yourself? 
Yeah. All I'm asking people to because people are like, oh, you're crazy. You're trying yeah. to like stunt this weird cult of like yeah. dream chasers. And I'm like, no, what I'm all I'm asking you to do is believe in yourself. Yeah. Whatever your dream is, go for it. Yeah. Go for it with a relentless tenacity that people don't have. And it's crazy because you will be surprised by how much you can accomplish. Yeah. It's so crazy. Right. Because like, I don't think we ever thought the VMA protest could be what it was, no. right? It's not like we were like, oh, tomorrow we're going to go to the VMAs and we know that the city is going to immediately pay for all of it. Like, this is, a, like, this is what we need. Like, we need them to bend to do. No, it's like we were just like, we're just going to try. And then you're, you're, and then we get shocked on the other end. And then we're like, wait, what? Like, they did what now? And it was but there's just, so many examples of that. You yeah. know, the freeholders campaign where, you know, we didn't win, but, yeah. you know, we got 18,000 votes. Yeah. That's yeah. a big deal in a pandemic. Right. Right. You know, the, and we were, we're relative newcomers to the entire, you know, to the thing. Yeah. Um, the Newark Border Coalition doing the work that it does now. Yeah. The fact that I'm running for mayor, the organizing school, the fact that I was able to go to the Glasgow to represent Newark. Yeah. Like all of these things happen because, you know, I just kept doing the work. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's, it sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Sometimes I don't want to get out of bed because one of the things I say all the time is I'm human too. Yeah. I'm human too. But you know what? That's what separates people. Mm-hmm. Is one is the fact that, you know, we kept going. Yeah. And two, we're not just trying to bring ourselves along. We're trying to bring as many people with us as possible. True. And I think there's something like about having the strength to do something when no one's following too, right? I think that was part of it, right? Because there were a lot of meetings where it was just you or it was just like, (laughs) where it's like, it's not even a meeting where it's like, it's like, oh shit, like nobody showed up again. And it's like, and I mean, even for me, like in a lot of the projects that I do, like a lot of times, like it's literally just me. And I think what, what is different is like, you need to have the mental stability to be able to motivate yourself because a lot of times as I, and maybe mental stability is not the friendliest term to use, but it's like, we have to remember that everyone at the end of the day is responsible for taking care of themselves. You know, like that's like, it's your life. You like, you can, you can have people that you trust will support you, but at the end of the day, if no one is there to support you, you have to be able to support yourself. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that strength where if no one's supporting them, then they will kind of just lose faith in themselves and then they'll go into a distraction or they go into like a bad habit or something like that. And I think for me, it's like I've had so many moments where I feel like I've been let down but then I push myself up and I'm like I need to keep going because if I keep working hard and I build something cool then people will come and they'll realize like oh like this guy's still doing the work like now I can I have the capacity to help him out you know so I I was uh I was I volunteer every Sunday on a farm yeah and um I'm on there and shout out to chief man of the turtle clan uh, of the of the Ramapo Nation, mm. um, he's planting seeds, mm-hmm. 
and he has 5,000 seeds that he has to plant mm-hmm. by hand. Wow. And I'm like, oh, man, you must have a lot of patience. Yeah. And he goes, not really. Mm. I have purpose. Mm. And when you have purpose, you can do anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, that really affected me in the way of like, you know, it, when I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, today, if I had no desire to go to a water distribution right. today. But I have purpose. Mm-hmm. This is my purpose. is right. to distribute water in the city of North. Right. I must get up today. Mm-hmm. I must put in the work today. Mm-hmm. Because if this is what I'm called to do, then I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that gives me the strength. That but gives where, me so the where do you get that uh, that strength, though? Because, but, but yeah. because you see, when you're doing the thing that you're called to do, mm-hmm. which for me is, is distribute water, is to help this organization, help the kids in the mm-hmm. organization, is when you take the good things. Right. Um, the fact that you know, so one of the volunteers came up to me and was like, you can't always be the nice guy, Anthony. Mm. Talk that shit. And I mm. was like, okay, wow, you know. And then I realized sometimes it's not about who we're giving um, mm. the stuff to. It's about our internal community. Yeah. And then you start to affect the external community. Mm. And so um, I hold memories like that. Yeah. There was a volunteer um, during our three-year anniversary mm-hmm. who cried and said, you guys are like my family. Yeah. And I cry. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, because now then I'm not an individual doing the work. Mm. Now I know that, you know, I'm showing up for this distribution mm-hmm. for Maria, for Manuela, yeah. for Delon, for Amar, for mm-hmm. Jermaine, for Jose, for right. Santi, you know, for all these different people. Yeah. And it's not just about me. And that's where my, that's why community yeah. is so important because you're not relying on yourself. Yeah. You're relying on each other. And that's deep. And it's like, I think that's, you know, some people don't know why I, I'm, I always come back to politics and I feel like that's my rosy image of what politics could be, right? It could be bringing these people together, like actually going out there and listening to people's problems, actually building community, actually having community like engagement and like building like a family where it's like, you know, we like this. That's why I ran for office when I ran for office was like I wanted to truly be representative of the people. And what does that mean? That means like actually go out to where they're at. And that's what I like about what you're doing is like, I mean, with the distribution, like you're literally bringing people in, making them your family and it paints a different picture of what politics could be. And it's so sad to me because the politics that other people see, and that's why like they tune out the news and stuff, because the politics is just all the depressing stuff. Like it's all of the fake, like Nancy Pelosi saying one thing and then trading her stocks and making a shit ton of money. And like it like Biden's promising two thousand dollar checks and only giving forty. Like that's what politics is to them, and that's shitty. But like what politics means to us, I think, is the family that it brings, the community that it builds, the organizing that it builds. And it's it's really sad to me that that's not the politics that everyone sees, you know? But it's, again, I, the, I've probably said it like five times already. Yeah. It's, it's designed that way. Yeah, it's, yeah. Everything is designed that way. 
And, you and know, how do we break that then? How do we how do we make people realize politics is not that? By making them active. Yeah. By saying enough is enough, get off of the sidelines. Run for office. Yeah. Run for district leader. Yeah. Run for uh, planning board, zoning board, rent control. But here's where the problem comes in is it's so easy for them to not do it, right? Because yeah. it's so easy for them to go on TikTok or go to the, the bars and the clubs and... It's so sad to me because there's we, there's some areas where things are it enables you to be so happy in a world where there's so much work that needs to be done. And it's like I wish people could balance both, but like people aren't like doing the work and building the community because they can do the other things and it it makes me scared about like how do we actually get people to do this work but i, I think you know it's it's again when people ask to volunteer it's i never they're like what do you need done what do you need done? Mm. and if i tell them what i actually need done sure they could do it yeah i hate paperwork yeah i hate paperwork we yeah. have to be good at paperwork yeah so you know but there's very few people that I, in my experience that love it yeah. and want to volunteer for right it. But again, I'm always like, well, no, what is it that you like to do? That's always the first question I ask people. Right. What is it that you like to do? Mm. Because when you start living out your passion, yeah. then you're like, yo, why am I not doing more of this? Yeah, and you have some cool stuff here. I, I saw that you guys were doing like 3D printing before. You guys do the t-shirts. You do So you have like a lot of different cool things that people can be doing. Exactly. And yeah. that's it's all community-based. Right. And so, you know... And this is why it's hard because I got criticized, or I didn't get criticized, but someone mentioned, they were like, well, don't forget about the seniors. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, yeah, you know, I, seniors are important and we need to definitely facilitate people to give them a second wind at life. But our young people, who have the time, right? Mm -hmm. Who has the time and who ha who is the generation that's watching everything unfold? Right. And so if you can get to them at an early enough age to figure out their passions before, you know, especially if you're black and brown, you got to get a job. You, right. you 16 year old, you get your working papers, you got to get a job. You got to start helping with rent. You got to start paying for bills. You got to start paying for food mm -hmm. around here, all this other stuff. Right. But if you're like, well, this same 16 year old on the weekends when he's uh, distributing water, he's able to do his homework. Or he's able to 3D print or he's able to, you know, make a design on a T-shirt. Then he's like, you know, there's something to this. Yeah. And I tell you, hey, you know what? You can make money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't believe the narrative that there's only one way to be successful. Mm. Because I, you know, I believe that for a very long time. And unfortunately, it made me um, kind of get distracted for a while. Now that I have reframed success and what that looks like, it has been a game changer in my life. And now I'm living a more fulfilled life that understands that everything is political mm -hmm. and everything is political. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people don't understand. when they, right. They're like, oh, I'm not into politics. But everything you do is political from what you wear yeah. Yeah. to what you listen to to yeah. what you watch. Yeah. And so once you start showing and connecting the dots for folks, yeah, then they're able to understand. And then what I hope, though, is that once, you know, a lot of people get angry. Yeah. Once they were like, oh, this has been going on, they get angry. Yeah. But take that anger 
and organize with it. Right. Funnel it into an organization. Funnel it into something else that makes sense for, for right. you. Right, right. For you. And that's that's so important. I think that part is the most important thing, right? Like, Because I fall in that same trap where I see the news all the time and I just get angry. And I've now kind of engineered that into a tool where it's like as soon as like I get home from school, which I, I teach at, um, I put on the news and it kind of like riles me up. It's like two, I just, one specific show that I watch, uh, The Breaking Points on the Hill, super good, two hours. And um, it riles me up and then I get so motivated and I pull out my laptop and I just start like typing in code and like, you know, editing videos and get so like just heated. And like, I can't, I can't do an endless stream anymore. Like, I can't just scroll through Twitter. I can't do like, you know, just get lost in it because that would drive me insane. But if I just like limit my exposure to it, but use it as a motivating tool, then it gets like my engine running and then I'm just like fired up. I think that's that's something that people could definitely replicate as as a. Well, hey, let I, me just check something real quick. Think what I was talking um, with someone about earlier is about how you need to trust the process, right? And how everybody's process is different, but it's their own process. And I found a process that works for me, but you know, it might not work for everybody else. So I think that. One, t- you know, in a lot of this stuff is that we're not, we're not able to find our own processes. Mm-hmm. We're not able to figure out what's going on and figure out what works for us, what doesn't work for us. And I think that to me is important. I think if that works for you, then that's what's up. But that's people true. need to be afforded the opportunity to figure out what works for them. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but I also agree with what you said about just like doing the thing that is actually enjoyable to you, right? Like if graphic design is the way that you can contribute, that's a really fun thing. I mean, some people are good at making memes. Some people are good at like making t-shirts. Some people are good at like different things. Um, And another thing that I've been looking at um, is music and art. I think music and art are some of the most powerful tools, right? And I know, because I teach in a high school, so my ki- so many of my kids like they they love making like music and some of them want to be rappers and I'm like but their lyrics are so like trashy <laughs> so just to be just to be completely yeah, honest <laughs> Please don't watch my podcast. <laughs> please don't. Watch yeah, God, please don't watch my podcast. Um, but it's just like if you put some meaning into it and make it like like artistic. Like that's what I love about. I mean, we talked a little bit about her. So like the reason why I love her music is because the lyrics are like metaphors and they're like they're so artistic. They're poetry and like you can break it down. And I wish like a lot of my students who have this like this artistic interest would just like just pause like it's easy to get excited and put out like some really like raunchy lyrics but if you just like sit there and like think and like think about something like really creative think about like a really cool flow i mean we talked about my interest in in little wayne 
I think, like, he doesn't write, but he goes in and, like, I, I've watched, like, videos of him, like, behind the scenes, like, making some of his songs, and, like, he'll play the beat, like, over and over again, and then he'll, like, say something. If he doesn't like it, he'll, like, go back and record something over else over it. And it's, like, there, it's, like, a process of, like, trying something, and then it doesn't work out. Whereas I feel like right now people, like, try something once and they expect it to be perfect, and they don't do that iterative process and they don't make it like they don't spend time to make it perfect but like i feel like they could create something that's so inspiring and i really want to i wish i was talented in any way because i wanted to try like writing a song because i feel like you can break it down to science like you can break it down to like the rhythms you can break it down like go on rhyming dictionary and find the rhymes that you need and so I've, you've done this i haven't done it yet I, <laughs> next project i'm gonna write a song and it's gonna be a certified one hit wonder elevator music in 10 years <laughs> i i think art and music is definitely important yeah and, and why My point, yeah it's because yeah. it's a point of uh self-expression and communicating yeah, yeah communicating that's why like even the, the 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 logo was so important right right so so right important. and it takes your character into consideration because you like anime you're a big yeah. Anime fan yeah anime. yeah and so you know to have this uh done in this style and then people resonated heavily with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like art is is not a lost art. And yeah. especially with like NFTs and stuff like that, we still need like, you know. Have tangible. you made us an NFT, by the way? Somebody... <laughs> Make it an NFT. I'm sure you can read it. S- sell it. Sell it. Yeah. Someone help oh. us do that. Be awesome. <laughs> no. If they buy it for a million dollars, maybe. Yeah. Fund, well, fund the campaign. Fund the um, campaign, exactly. No. But, um, no, art and music is so important. I did, it's, I, it's powerful, too, though, because it's like... I mean, I think I think it's too powerful. <laughs> I, I think people know... I think there are a lot of conspiracies behind you know some artists that have mysteriously disappeared from the planet <laughs> because they're just being too real. Because I think it's so powerful because... A lot of times a song can be so catchy that you don't even know what you're listening to. But it, because it's so catchy, you, you enjoy it. And then after you've like sung it like 20 times, you're like, oh, wait, like this is the message. And it might not be a message that resonates with you, but because you've had such an attachment to the song, now it sinks in differently. And now you might listen to it. Whereas if it was like spoken to you in a different forum that message might never have gotten to you. And that's where I think there's a power in art, right? And that's why, like, artists um, like Michael Jackson, like Tupac, like, were so powerful because it's, like, they communicated a lot of real things that people were feeling um, in a very catchy way where, you know, people from all different backgrounds could enjoy it and they don't even know that they're listening to, like, kind of a politicized message. Well, I was going to, you know, just hearing you talk made me think of like how, um, you know, when you when you listen to a song or your favorite song or something and it evokes an emotion. Yeah. And there's so few things that invoke like deep emotion. Yeah. People. Art is definitely one. Mm -hmm. Music tremendously, just like the examples you give. Mm -hmm. And we need to be more human. Yeah. And we need to express ourselves. Right. You know. I heard a very long time ago that the first revolution is internal. Mm. And it happens when you listen to these songs, when you paint a picture, when you express yourself. Mm. And so, like, we need more people doing that. And to me, that's what that's what politics is. Well, I think 
there's two sides to it. I think you have to take things in with humility. And I think that's what people don't get, right? Um, Like with art and music, you have to have the humility to say that there's something that I want to learn from this, right? The reason that art resonates with me, and well, music specifically as an art, is because they, the songs that I listen to express powerful emotions that I don't understand fully about myself. And a lot of the songs I feel like come from a more mature place where like they went through the emotion, they've understood how to deal with it. And then so when I listen to the songs, I kind of listen intently and I learn from it. That's yeah. wild because I'm, no, you I, don't, I don't have that connection. Like we yeah. I don't have that connection with Yeah, music. interesting. And well, I find it weird about myself. Yeah. Because I know people like, you know, like yourself, they, people yeah. I know are like deep into music. Yeah. You know, playlists yeah. and all that. I yeah. have like one playlist and put all my songs on there. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, I know like whatever mood I'm feeling. I know exactly what to listen to. Like, I there's never a moment where I like step into like a car or something. And I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna hit shuffle. No, I like, I am like, this is the song that I need to listen to right now. And it's been like, ninety percent it, is a Taylor Swift, so it makes it easy because it's like I've listened to all of her music um, so many times, and I know exactly like no matter what I'm feeling, I know like exactly what song to go to. And it's kind of, I mean, in a way, like, that's been, like, my personal, like, project. Like, I spent so much time, like, and it's always, like, downtime. It's, like, when I'm walking somewhere, I'm, like, listening to music. And it's, like, over time, like, I've just been, like, fine-tuning my preferences. And, fi- and of course, like, I still add, like, when new stuff comes out, like, I, like, it's kind of like a research. Like, I listen to it, like, 20 times. I'm, like, okay, is this going to go on this list? Where is it going to go? It's, like... <laughs> But it's like a life project that I'm still listening to like DMX. Okay. On loop, you know? I you know what? There's something to be said about that because I feel like that's gotta be more peaceful where it's like you can just hit shuffle and you're like, okay, we're good. Whereas I'm like, okay, this is a project and I'm like well, <laughs> you know, I mean, now you got me really thinking about yeah. this. But like um the only time where I'll I'll notice the music yeah. is if like you know I'll put it on in the background or yeah. something like that, and I'm like, oh, I don't really like this song. Mm. So the things I don't like, yeah, I I can recognize right away. And then do you toss them out so they're no longer in there? No, I don't. Uh, like, <laughs> see, but that's it. That's the little because if you make that that tiny adjustment and you like put it into play, then it's like. The next time you're listening, you'll never have that moment where there's something that you don't want. Because that's, for me, it's like an efficiency thing. I want it to be like every, like, I know that I'm going to enjoy everything here, you know? Like, for I'm trying to, so I went to a tech school, and I feel like I learned a lot from the engineering community because I feel like I need to, like, optimize everything in my life. Like, optimize my efficiency, optimize my happiness. And for me, optimizing happiness means, like, making sure there's nothing that makes me sad so if there's a, a song that oh, i damn. not yeah well if that there's sounds a, rough it's not rough though because like once you do the little work of preparing things then it's like you know that whenever you hit probably everything like is going to be something that you enjoy you know like that's why i drive a nice car because i know i'm gonna want to be like in a nice car when i'm like driving around so it's and it's just like I want to optimize like the happiness, and because we're we're only here 
for a finite amount of time who knows how long we have and it's like yeah. good time not a long time yeah exactly <laughs> so it's like why would i waste my time on things that i don't enjoy <laughs> so to me it's it's important I think it's all it's all cumulative. Yeah, it's yeah, all cumulative. Like yeah. you know, because but sometimes it's subconscious too. You don't know that you're organizing it. You don't know that like you're doing it. But then you're like, oh, like this looks perfect now, and it's and I, you know, it's, and it's always funny when you get like those uh, end of the year reports, and it's like, yeah, you've only listened to like six songs. <laughs> See that never that. happens to me. <laughs> and, yeah, I would never get if that happened. I would be like, well, what happened that year? I was not myself. No, no. Um, no, it is super important, though, but I, I do think there's a lot of power to it. Um, I think, I mean, the Renaissance itself was built on, you know, it was just a transformation made on music. Um, and so it has the ability to, to build movement. But quickly, though, on that note of building movement, like, what is your plan? Because this, this is a tough race, right? I mean... Let's actually briefly talk about the ballot design in New Jersey, right? Which is, first of all, your election is separated from the congressional race, which I feel like is done by design because they want to create a lower turnout election here where they can control like who comes out to vote and make it hard for people to vote and things like that so that they don't... Like, if they just put you on the same ballot with the other, you know, the congressional race, then you could potentially bracket and it could be a little bit easier but they're kind of making it a little more difficult in that respect but then you also have the party line so talk to me about what's that looking like uh, and also even just the uh the petitioning process because it's a little so archaic I'll, I'll talk about the whole thing uh in general so the yeah. you know the administration released their team which is interesting in itself because some of the council people decided to, to retire and so there's some new people on there. But they're all beholden to the Democratic Party, which is another interesting thing that they all, always put on their ballots, vote Democrat, even mm. though it's a nonpartisan race, which wow. is insane in itself. So Governor Murphy has just announced a health emergency in the state of New Jersey. Mm. Which, by all rights, should be we should have electronic signatures so folks aren't going door to door or canvassing in the communities um, because of COVID. Right. Uh, Omicron has definitely hit hard, hit so hard in Newark that we're getting federal military aid, mm. but we don't have electronic ballots. We wow. still have paper ballots. The ballots themselves, in order to run for mayor or an at-large candidate, you need to collect 1,644 ballots. Wow. In order to run for governor of New Jersey, you only need 800 signatures. How so it's easier to run for governor than to run for mayor of Newark. Exactly. Wow. And then, you know, the bracketing system you just mentioned is the same thing. I'm running as myself, so I, you know, I don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people ask me if I'm a Democrat or Republican. I always say independent. And then mm-hmm. they, 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 a lot of people don't. Again, it's education. A lot of people yeah. don't understand what that means. Yeah. Um, so the the petitioning has been tough, and you know, in the sense that it's cold. Right. Not a lot of people are out, mm-hmm. and then if you hear some of the same things, so it's like you know, my name is. My full name uh, is Anthony Dwayne Diaz, mm-hmm. which I'm half black, I'm half El Salvadorian. Mm-hmm. So I'll hear things on there like, oh, you know, 
I only support black people or I don't, you know, want to support anybody Latin or your last name is Diaz, so you don't care about us. That's so ridiculous. It's crazy because, you know... How are you going to vote for someone just because of their name or their ethnicity? But that's, that's, to me, is a reflection Mm. of the state that communities Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. We have normalized things that aren't normal. Right. And it's like, you know, and what bothers me about that is that you don't even, you're not even listening to my idea at that Yeah. Point. You don't even know. You don't even care. And it's like, they don't even know that you're, the, you're fighting for that. <laughs> you know? But even, but it just, you shouldn't close yourself off like yeah. that. You're, you're limiting your experience as a human being mm-hmm. based on that notion. Um, and yeah. that's what really bothers me. About For me, though, it goes back to their definition of politics. And I think their definition of politics is the ugly stuff that they see on TV. And we have to work on getting rid of that definition, right? And showing them what politics can really be. But then it becomes like such a paradox because it's like, how can you show them what politics can really be when they immediately shut themselves off to politics you know but that's why that's why for me it i think that's what is so great about my campaign yeah is that i have run for office before but this is entirely different between the last municipal election four years ago Mm. where i was a a, a organizer in the blm movement Mm. you know we've tried to start the newark chapter it wasn't that successful we did have you know some events some you know books and breakfasts and things like that Mm. but with the versus now where four years later Mm -hmm. the newark water coalition has done a tremendous amount of work in the city. Mm-hmm. So it, it, something that you said earlier, which is really interesting, and I feel like, you know, I, I, I haven't heard it a lot, is like, you were like, as an ordinary citizen, you were able to accomplish yeah. this. Right, right. As a resident or a person in this city, mm-hmm. I was able to accomplish X, Y, and Z, along with, um, you know, all the bodies at the Newark Water Coalition, NWC, mm-hmm. and then other organizations that I've partnered with. Yeah. And so when people are like, oh, you're just the same. How am I the same when I've instituted so many different new, radical, and beautiful programs mm-hmm. that are working? Mm-hmm. I'm not the same. So right. it's not the same politics. Mm-hmm. But then, again, if you're not even allowing to hear that argument or that speech or something, you're closing yourself off. Right. So, again, it's like, well, when I'm elected, the first thing we need to do is heal the trauma in our community. Mm-hmm. Stop the normalization of what's happening to us, of right. this apathy, of this right. pain, of this hurt. So that we can begin to change the conversations into something more meaningful. It's sad to me, though, because the people in power have the capacity to do exactly that everywhere, Um, not just in this community. And it's sad to me that in a lot of cases they don't, right? Like, if you're holding the position of mayor, like, you have the ability to hold community meetings, to restore faith in in government by showing that you can actually show up for them. And every day that they don't do that, which, I mean, in this case, I mean, that hasn't happened except for, like, once, you know, say the city of every, like, year. Like, it's sad that the city... And leaders themselves don't care enough to tell people that they care about them. 
And then the voters don't believe that people care about them or government cares about them. And they don't even, in a lot of cases, they don't even show up to vote. Um, and if they do show up to vote, they go in a very jaded way. They don't care about learning about new information about different candidates. They just are just going to vote for what they've always voted for and not even make a decision. They just do it as a duty that they have to you know, uphold. And it feels like we've kind of lost our freedom. Like we've taken it away from ourselves, right? Because we're voting for the same people over and over again that don't do anything and don't even care about us. So like, why are we doing that? But we understand that, you know, the system is designed to brainwash us at a very early age about this individual freedom and like, you know, screw community. It all has to, like, we need to be on top. We need to make most money. Yeah. We need to have the most toys. Yeah. And then alternatively, on the flip side, when we, when people do get into these positions of power, are they grounded in community? And a lot of times they're not. Right. They're not doing the service. They're not doing distros. They're not helping their people in any, you know, real direct way. You know, yeah. except for like a holiday event or like Thanksgiving. Everybody helps everybody yeah. on Thanksgiving. But like, you know, one of the things that is very crucial for me and so that I don't get a big head and so that I know that I'm doing things for the right reasons is our distributions. Right. Because you're directly contacting with community and at that point yeah. you're seeing everything. You're yeah. seeing the good, you're seeing the bad, you're seeing the ugly. But right. you know what? This is our community. Right, and that's sad because you don't see politicians doing that. You always see them sending their aides, sending like their, their their top staff, yeah. But they don't show up, and it's just like I mean, and it's even like people like the squad, you know, in a lot of cases. Like, I mean, AOC didn't show up to a Amazon strike that I think she had, you know, made promised. some yeah, she had promised, and it's like, what are you doing? Like you, you said you would be our ally. And I don't like I don't know if they're trying to build up some political capital, some imaginary political capital, but like and I guess this is translates into a question to you, like, would you be willing to risk your seat to make the tough decisions? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because this ain't a career for me. Yeah. I'm not doing this to put myself on, I'm doing this to put my community on. Right. And I've already, you know, Every day I'm faced with moral questions. Mm. Should we take this grant funding? Should we partner with this organization? Do we implement this program? What does it mean for my community? What does it mean for the volunteers? What does it mean for me? What does mm. it mean for my livelihood? Right. Every day I'm faced with those questions. And some days it's easy. Some days the questions are a lot harder. Mm. I can't imagine what the questions would be like as mayor. You know, mm. I can only think of like, how many people are trying to pull you in different directions. Mm -hmm. But again, that's why you must be grounded in community. Because right. when you're in grounded in community, you are led by community. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's like, I have come too far this way mm -hmm. to completely abandon any drop of integrity that I have. Right. And that's what's been tough, is that like, I have been so successful in spite of everything that has hit my way because I've just been doing the work. Right. And so, you know, it, there's not a, a, a question in my mind. And if I would have, and I think a lot about AOC because everyone's like, oh, yeah, everybody was on that bandwagon. Yeah. Heavy, heavy. Yeah. yeah. But then when that Iron Dome vote came, yeah. 
And she wrote like absolute present, or present, present yeah. or something, whatever like that. I was like, you just showed the whole world who you really are. It's crazy because to me, it's like it becomes a question of like what happens behind like why why is it that these people get corrupted and it's crazy because i feel and we we both know that i work for bernie but it makes me admire bernie more because it feels like i mean he has his own flaws too but yeah we're all human but like he kind of despite all the forces for his whole life and he spent his whole life, most of it, in public service. He's remained, like, relatively consistent. Whereas these new Congress people, it's only been, like, two or three years, and they're already showing signs, like, cracking on these things. And I'm like, it makes it even, like, how does, like, Bernie becomes an enigma to me. Like, how does one person exist like that, that you can stay relatively consistent in that way? And then what is it that is turning these other people who, like, we all were there. We saw how they won. We knew that they put in work. Like, what happened? Like, it's it's, a lot it's of the pressure. biggest. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Because here's the thing, right? Bernie is a white man. That is true. At the end of the day, he will yeah. always be a white man. Yeah. You being a Latina or a, yeah. a woman, a black woman from, you know, wherever or a yeah. black man from whatever... You're not only representing your constituency, but you're also representing your race. Right. And that's what's tough. And mm. then on the flip side, you're operating in the monster that is the Democratic Party. You're never going to have some kind of independent voice. You're never going to have who, what you want to do. You're always going to have a pressure of like, well, I'm going to need you to sign for this bill mm. in California or New York and get money. Right. So what's up? But... If you're grounded in community, and this is where, you know, if I was an AOC type, we're like, yo, you have so much societal pull. Right. Why do you need this machine right. to bend to Why are you bending to this machine's That's what I don't get. When you can bend the machine to your will. Exactly. And it's like, why don't you leverage your celebrity to to organize people, right? And that that's the other, the, that's the other thing. Because here's the yeah. thing. These people are maybe they're activists. Yeah. But being an activist is a very different thing than being an organizer. Mm-hmm. An organizer's into in the fight long term. Mm. An organizer knows the many levels to this. When you're an activist, it's like flash pan stuff. You're in the moment. You're in the mix. Yeah. You're doing some things. But to be an organizer is completely, completely yeah. different. Yeah. That's the thing because I think... I mean, that's what, what I hoped, right? Because when AOC first got elected, there was that moment where she stood with the Sunrise mo- Movement in Nancy Pelosi's office, um, and it was a big deal. And I was hopeful for a second because I was like, she had just gotten elected, and she's still doing the activism. She's still out there. And I feel like that was the last the, the <laughs> last thing that she ever did the last and it was just like what happened like why don't you use your organizing like why don't you go down to the Bessemer you know union fight and you know help the, the the workers rally together help them get that union drive passed through like I mean and I mean you can say the same thing about Bernie too like I mean he does a lot of fundraisers for them but like what about like actually sending in the support team to like and to be fair, I'm sure they're doing some of that stuff behind the scenes, but I feel like 
there's so much like especially when you're a politician like you know that the system is broken right you know that Joe Biden's president, he's not going to nuke the filibuster. He's not going to do anything. These next two years, like, nothing is going to happen in Congress. So why are you pretending that you're, like, what, what are you pretending to fight for over there? Like, why don't you go to your district and organize? Like, why don't you build up for the next election? Why don't you find districts where there's these corporate Democrats and, you know, prep the primary challengers? Like, why are you wasting your effort in a Congress that you know is going to be gridlocked, right? I mean, the the bipartisan infrastructure bill with, like, the whole Build Back Better BS that they did, like, that was, like, like months of our lives that just, like, in a second, they were just like, oh, yeah, Joe Manchin's not going to vote for it, so, like, it's over. Like, we just wasted, like, three months talking about that where you could have been, like, finding the next AOC, like, going into these districts, like, going into these union battles and, like, sending in staffers, and it's like you're now playing the game like you're now acting as one of the actors in these systems and you know that the system doesn't work so why do you keep acting along as if it is well for me it's it's a good thing yeah because you know i i've had very very little faith in the whole electoral um, process and i remember um talking to one of my friends shout out to mike who's running for congress mike ortega in california yeah um is that he was like well the squad's in there right we could expand the squad and i was like how many uh congressional members are there Mm. And I, I, I can't remember. It's close to 400. Five twenty-eight. Five. It's more than... Okay, I thought it was more like that. three something. No. Nah. Five twenty-eight. Yeah, How many like are in the squad? Yeah, there's like... There was initially four, and now it's like 16 or something. Yeah. yeah 16 five, under against yeah, 500. 538 is the total. So, yeah. so when you're talking about like why, you're like, she's probably just trying to keep her head above water. But that's the thing. Like, you... To me, you have to be willing to lose it all. Like, and that was, like, and I thought that was the energy that she was going in with, um, with regards to AOC in particular, but, like, all of them, like, what's the point if you're not gonna, like, because everyone, if you just end up doing exactly what everyone else is gonna do, nothing's gonna change. And, like, they might pretend that they have some leverage, but, I mean, like, where did their leverage get them? Like, we still didn't get Build Back Better. We didn't, we got the fake $1,400 is $2,000 checks, you know? My my biggest thing is, we're in a pandemic, where the hell is our universal healthcare? Yeah! If we don't get universal healthcare now, we're never gonna get it. And then also just waving the patent on the the drug that would save the world you know it's uh i don't know if you've seen the movie don't look up yet but it's it's like we're living it right now it's like it's so stupid where we have all the tools and we can easily solve these problems if like the people just put the pressure in the right places and no one is willing to put that pressure on and not no one yeah well well, that's (laughs) the thing like it feels like it's up to the work of people like us. I mean, that's why I'm taking this podcast so seriously because I want to do my part to put pressure on. And I feel like that's a reason why you're running for mayor is because you want to do your part to put pressure on. But it's like all of these people have already, you know, got to a place where they can put pressure on it and it feels weird that they're not actively applying it now that but they're there. One of the biggest things that I tell people nowadays is uh, 
they ask me, well, can I support this person or can I do this or do that? Mm -hmm. I say, check the receipts. Yeah. What has been the story of her life? Right. What has been the story of most of these people's lives? Right. Even if they say, oh, I was a community organizer, but community organizer means what? Right. To them. Right. What does being an activist mean to them? Right. You know, it's, I, I look back at um, one of the earliest, there's two recordings. One was probably when I was in kindergarten, me running, um, winning a third place in a dance competition at some <laughs> Uh, and I was like really, really young. Yeah. Second is my true life yeah. episode from high school. Uh -huh. And in it, I'm advocating for better lunches. Mm. We're talking about the groundbreaking for the science high school. Mm. Um, we talk about like how I, we started or co-started an underground newsletter. Mm. In high school, I was wow. doing this. Yeah. And to, so like this has been a history of my life. Yeah. Of constantly fighting the system. Right. Versus where someone gets into the game, you know, a little bit later. And it's really weird now. Because of technology, you get that blue check. Right. You feel a little bit of clout. Yeah. You get a million followers. Yeah. You're doing, uh, what's that one? The one uh, activist did like a Cadillac commercial. Oh, wow. Right? Cool. So, like, know, yeah. you know, you're starting to get all this stuff. Yeah. It's it's not easy to give up. Yeah. But when you start out broke. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that's the common broke. denominator. Yeah, my family didn't grow up with money. And now, like, I mean, I had the corporate life. And I was like, I was doing well. And then I left it because it, I realized corporate life wasn't making me happy. And even with the two weeks of vacation, like, I could go to a fancy place. But that wasn't going to make me happy for the whole year. And then um, I traded down all that money to go work for the Bernie campaign. But then I started to feel fulfillment, but then that was also overwhelming because so many hours. And now I'm like at a good balance um, with this teaching gig. And yeah, no, I just feel like that money, like people conflate money with happiness and I just feel like they've got it all wrong. And I don't think that even... I don't know what happiness can be defined as. For me, I think happiness is defined as making an impact because making an impact makes me feel good. And I always say to everyone, I always say I'm always happy to help. You know, when everyone, I'm, I'm the biggest yes man in the world. Uh, a lot of people know that. If you ask me to do anything, I'll probably say yes. And I always also say I'm always happy to help because to me, like, it's very sincere. Like, it makes me happy to to help someone because i'm making a positive impact on them and that just it for some reason it just makes me happy and i don't i don't understand why everyone doesn't feel that way like it doesn't well, like isn't that just human nature no well here's the thing when you say like people conflate ha um money with happiness it's it's the material things right mm. when you have money what are you doing you're buying material yeah. things to kind of like fill up this void that you have in your spirit yeah. your heart that normally you would fulfill by living out your passion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of our organizers once told me that, you know, it's sometimes you can ask somebody what they need, but they they themselves don't even understand what they really yeah. need. Yeah. So you can ask somebody what makes you happy, and they'll probably list you like 10, 15 different things. Yeah. But those things don't really make them no. happy. Yeah. You know, love. Yeah. 
community, friendship. Mm. Those are the things that make that me happy. Do. Those are intangible, you know. Those and are it's funny because you find those with politics, you know? Like, you find community. You find, yeah, I mean, you build trust. You build that loving, like, nurturing community. And that's why, for me, politics becomes happiness. But for a lot of people, politics is just depression. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Because, I mean, because people don't do it in a way that brings them joy. Yeah. They do it in a way that brings them, like, frustration and tiredness. Like, I, the even today, right, it's just so frustrated at people and, and all this other stuff. But, like, we get, we gave out the most food that we've ever given. And I love yeah. that fact that I probably say that Every other month, I yeah, say, we get, yeah, we've given out the most food ever this week, and that's you should always be pushing the bar further, and that's why that happens, right? Like, because you give out the most one week, and you're like, oh, like we did the most this week, let's try to push it even further, and that's awesome because then you get that you you feel that gratification because you know that you're always pushing the bar, you know that you're. And I, I wish more people found fulfillment in that. Um, I'm gonna ask one more question because um, we are getting pretty long here but um so well actually i mean briefly back to that last question so how do you build that movement to win the mayoral race um but then also um yeah what would your game plan be on the other end, whether you, if you didn't win the mayor, right? So, you so the, this activism? The, the beautiful thing is either way I'm winning because yeah. the impact that I've made has definitely changed a lot of perceptions on how to run a campaign right. race and what you can talk about and what you can't talk about yeah. and things you can't do and can do. So I already believe that we're winning. Right. And, you know, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, we're already influencing city policies in certain directions. In certain right. Ways. Well, actually, you know, my, my actual question, I totally blanked on it before, but <laughs> how, if you did win, how would you work with the city councilmen, the, the city council members as they exist? Because I feel like they might have the predisposition to the existing mayor. They're, they're like a rubber stamp. Yeah. They go where, they, they're like grass. Wherever the wind blows, that's how they fall. Right. And so I don't expect a lot of pushback. Mm. I don't expect them to try to hold up policies because a lot of the things that I'm going to do are common sense policies mm. for the city. of Right. And the thing is, is again, that's why campaigning and I guess this goes back to one of the first last questions. Is yeah. People power. Yeah. We have to there get enough go. people in this campaign so yeah. that we know the system is rigged. Right. We know that they're going to cheat us. Right. Both on the petitioning part. We know they're going to cheat us on the actual election part. We know they're going to cheat us on the mail-in ballot part. But if we get enough people, there's 319,000 people in this city. Mm -hmm. Only 20,000 voted or I'm sorry, 26,000 people voted for the mayor right. in the last election. Right. And it's probably because they separated out from the other election. Like they, it, they know what they're doing there. Exactly. Yeah. So but if we have enough people, if we're making it's, enough yeah. noise, if we're talking about the most relevant issues, yeah. We can win. Right. We can win. If right. it's up to the people, just flat out, I know that I would win hands down. Right. Right. But now I know, I, and I know that's the winning solution. That's yeah. the winning formula. That's the grand strategy. Right. Is to get more exposure, to knock on more doors, to talk to more people. Right. Because I'm not preaching craziness. I'm preaching common sense. Right. And so I, I think that's that's the number one thing. That's right. the way we win. All right. And then if people want to help out, 
Um, just give your 30-second quick pitch. Well, if they want to help out, where would they go? But also the top three things that you want to get done as mayor. Okay, so if you want to help out, um, reach out to me on IG. IG is the platform of choice for me. Um, That's where I do a lot of my content creation. I use all the other platforms, but reach out to me on IG. Newark Politics is my Instagram name. Um, You can visit our website, uh, www.mayorant.com. www. www.mayorant.com. Made by... Yours truly. Yours truly over here. Um, Or you can email me at organize at mayorant.com. I'm very, very accessible, so just please make sure to reach out. Uh, The top three things that I want for my campaign are community fridges on every block that wants them, the most funded health department, and then defunding the police and moving those resources into social programs for our youth, our elders, and our younger residents from 18 to 25 years old. Actually, one last thing that I did want to talk about is education. Um, The charter schools, um, specifically in Newark, all right? I have an issue with charters in general, Um, but my issue is that charter schools, they can be selective with who they admit, right? And they don't have to take people with disabilities. They don't have to take, you know, certain groups of people. So what happens is you get the brightest students from Newark go into these charter schools because they're the ones that get admitted. And then you leave the public schools with a lot of really bright kids, but also some troublemakers. And then the public schools then get a bad rap and then they end up deciding to cut funding from public schools and then moving all that into charter schools because they think charter schools are better. But in reality, they just put better people in the charter schools. That's why they're performing better. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I worked in a charter school, yeah. so I know the game that they yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, So what do you, th- like, where do you see that uh, playing a role in, in your administration? Like, how do you... So they just uh, released an educational ordinance where, yeah. like, they're going to create a body that... Um, can uh, at least make suggestions to the to the education board because they're separate. Right. Technically, the city of Newark has nothing to do with the board of education. Mm-hmm. Although in another area of corruption, yeah, the mayor's ticket has won in the last like three mm-hmm. or four elections. Right. Right. Um, the people that he's nominated for school. Board. Right. So now, um, I will say this about charter schools: like I'm a I'm a public school kid. I believe yeah. in public schools. All of that, I will never tell a parent where they can and cannot send their children. Right, right. Now, when it comes to funding for these mm-hmm. uh, resources, I don't believe that charter schools should be getting public funding. Right, Because right. if you want to open up this school and then you want to do it guess, separate, yeah, do it. then do it. There's yeah. no problem in doing it, but fund it. Find yeah. a way to fund it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And public schools are the ones that we're paying for. Those are the ones that we want to... In my opinion, make them as good as that we, as we can. And if you're taking money away from those, it's not a good thing. Anyways, you can buy this merch also on MayorAnt.com. You can buy some merch with this logo on it on MayorAnt.com. Um, thanks so much for joining me. It's no really problems. late at night, but um, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. Two hours long. Two hours? <laughs> Did we hit two? Oh, no. Ah, super close. Yeah, it's it's so all close. good. No. It's all round up. Yeah, nah, this is awesome, man.